Join us every Thursday for prayer from half past five to half past six. That happens at church, 154 Burkard Road, as well as on Zoom. If you would like any further information or would like to receive this link, please do contact us. Our details are below. So good to be able to bring God's word to you, Lord. Thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, I pray for impartation of your word. Lord, take these words of mine, Lord. And Lord, would you... Just take them by your spirit and plant them in our hearts, Lord. Lord, thank you for transformation in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Such a delight to bring the word to you this morning. And I want to speak about something, it's, uh, and it's from Scripture. And I've entitled this me message, Noble Character. Okay, and by the way, my name's Jacques over there, if you're wondering. Noble character. And I love those two words. And where is it, where is it from? From Ruth chapter 3. This description is given of Ruth. And it says, All the people of my town know that you are Ruth, a woman of noble character. Noble character. What is... This is actually Boaz talking. And Ruth eventually marries this guy. But what is... What is it? Why these words noble character? And this is the NIV uses these words. And Ruth was an amazing woman. Because um, the story of, of the book of Ruth is there was this Israelite guy who went to Moab. And he married this Moabite woman called Naomi. And he had two sons. And then uh, his two sons married two Moabite women. One being Ruth and one being Orpah. These two ladies. And then... Tragedy strikes, and the Israelite guy, Naomi's husband, the father, he dies, and his two sons die. And suddenly, there are these three widows. And Naomi says, I'm going to go back to home to my, to my people, back to Israel. And she tells her, her daughters-in-law, Ruth and Naomi, uh, Ruth and Orpah, and says, listen, I'm going, why don't you go back to your people? And Orpah takes her stuff, and it says, and she takes her gods as well, her idols, and goes off. And Ruth says this to Naomi. She says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. And the most significant thing she said is, and your God will be my God. Beautiful words that Ruth speaks. And Ruth goes with her and God weaves her into the plan of salvation. Because she marries Boaz. And she produces, if I'm not mistaken, her son was Jesse, who was the father of David, who is a descendant of Jesus. But what was, what's, what, why was she so significant? She was faithful to her mother-in-law, faithful to relationships. Remember what we looked at last week about relationships will cause you to live longer? Literally, she was, she was incorporated into God's plan of salvation because she said, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Faithfulness. Faithfulness, folks, is the root of all character. We're talking about noble character over here. And, and another scripture for you in Proverbs, it says about, about this, guys, you, you don't know this, but this is actually just describing my wife, by the way. Just, just telling you. It says, a wife of noble character is a husband's crown. <laughs> and, and, and this is very true for me. And when I say that, I'm, I'm not just making a joke. You know, when uh, first year university, 
I got in with the wrong crowd. The, ba- the Bible says, bad company corrupts good character. Okay? I got in with a, with a, with a wrong crowd. And uh, I had a girlfriend that, in my first year, that w- wasn't serving God, was far from God, didn't even understand church, had never really gone to church in her life. I remember when I went to church, I had a strong desire to go to church. She kind of laughed at me and thought it, she said it was cute that I was going to church. I was like, cute? <laughs> What's cute about going to church? But anyway, she, she didn't have a reference for going to church and it was very deep and meaningful for me. And um, anyway, I broke up with her. And there was this desire in me after that experience. And it wasn't, it wasn't messy. It wasn't ugly. It wasn't an ugly broke up. But I was, had this deep conviction that I wanted to marry a godly woman. And that was my prayer. The one thing I prayed, I said, God, I want to marry. I want to meet and marry. And I literally said, I'm not going to go out with another person. Until, God, you lead me, and I want that person to be the person that I eventually marry. And three years later, Jen and I started going out, and uh, three years later, we got married. And 29 years later, we're still married. Okay? So in December, it's 30 years. Can you believe it? But this, this noble character godliness, folks, um, I want to speak to you young men. Is that what you're looking for in a future wife? Are you looking for... Earthly beauty, you know, earthly beauty fades. But I want to tell you, godly beauty remains. Eventually, she's going to go gray, and she, oh, her skin's going to get all wrinkly, etc. And you're going to say, what happened to this beauty of mine? Well, are you looking at the outside? Are you looking on the inside? Acts 17 verse 11 uses these words, noble character, as well. It says, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Wow. What is this talking about? So it says in the last line, to see if what Paul said was true. So this is talking about when when Paul came to the city in Acts 17 and there were two lots of Jews. And it says, yeah, he was in actually in the town of Berea, that these Jews, they went to the Scriptures, they went to the Old Testament and they looked to see if what Paul said was true. And the Bible describes them as of more noble character. What is this, this concept of noble character the Bible's talking about here? And I want to unpack this. And, you know, I often find, and I'm sure you find this true, that if, if you tell a story, and you tell a story about somebody, then kind of you get it. So I'm going to tell you a story. And this is a story of a guy, I don't know how many of you know him. Um, I, I forgot about him, let me say. I'm sure I knew about him at one stage. And this is this guy. He is the former ESCOM chairman, Dr. Royal Causa. Okay, Dr. Causa. Um, so he was the chairman of ESCOM from 1997 to about 2001, 2002, around there. But definitely from 97. And I'm putting him up here as an example. I found an article about him where he was interviewed uh, about ESCOM, no figure. And... 
And what he said really struck me on a number of dimensions. And then I went to go research about him. And after he left ESCOM as the chairman, he's served on the board of directors of a number of top companies in South Africa, still stays in South Africa. And I couldn't figure out if he was a Christian. I can't say that. But from what I read about him and from this guy has noble character. He is an upstanding, successful businessman in South Africa. And folks, we need to hear stories of people like this. Because these are the kind of people that we are raising, that we are discipling. Okay? I want you to get a vision of what a godly businessman is like. Because we hear enough in the news about the skellums and, 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 and yeah, let's just, uh, let's just leave it over there. Okay? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read to you. I'm gonna, I've got a couple of slides here. So they did an interview with him about his time as the head of ESCOM uh, more than 20 years ago, uh, 25 years ago. And it's very insightful in a number of dimensions, okay? So some of you are sitting here and saying, what's that sound of that engine going over there near me? You know, it's not in my head. I know it's something. That's the generator, guys. We've got to run a generator so that we can have power at church um, because we have load shedding, okay? Now, South Africans, we all know about load shedding. We have had load shedding, folks, for 15 years. Do you realize? 15, 2008, load shedding started. I was listening to an interview uh, with uh, a, a very well-known CNN journalist, Richard Quest. I don't know if you know him. He has this program on CNN called Quest Means Business. Uh, and uh, he's very very entertaining to listen to because he's very expressive in, in how he talks. So he was in Cape Town about a month ago, and a South African journalist interviewed him. I listened to this interview, and they were asking him what is his impressions of Cape Town. And he was saying, oh, it's so beautiful. South Africa is such a beautiful country, and the people are so amazing. And, and he's doing interviews with various South African people. I don't know who, and he's just telling about amazing people he's meeting, South Africans, people like this guy, okay, Dr. Causa. And, and everything. And then the journalist is asking about South Africa. And then Richard Quest says, he says, but I can't understand. You have national power outages that you give this funny name to called load shedding. And you all have these high-tech apps on your phones where you're monitoring when you're going to have a national power outage again. And you're like, no. And you tell me that, listen, from this hour to that, you're going to have a national power outage. He says, in the countries that I travel, that I visit to, that would be a total disaster. The whole country would be in uproar. He says, I can't believe how, how you've come to live with the fact that, oh, from this hour to this hour, we're going to have a national power outage. He said, and I was listening to him from his perspective. I'm saying, yes, we, how come we're so used to, oh, you are from 6 to 8, you know, Sunday mornings from 9, we have load shedding, or from 10, it's load shedding. How come we get used to this? Folks, I want to say we shouldn't get used to things that, are, that shouldn't be, okay? It should not be, let me just tell you. Okay, in South Africa, it should not be, and it shouldn't have been for 15 years. Okay, now I don't want to, I want to look at what he says, because he's a leader, and I believe we are in the business of raising leaders, making disciples. Students, you come to this church, you think you're just going to, you know, have some worship, etc. You come here, your life will be changed if you will lock in and be discipled, because we're on a mission to raise leaders like a Dr. Causa and others. Okay, so what did he say? So just track with me on the slides. I'm going to read. You can follow. Causa was picked ahead of Cyril Ramaphosa. You heard of that dude? To be ESCOM chairman, chairman in 1997. 
then Deputy President Tom Beke, decided to adopt a scientific approach to select the candidate. Wow. Mbeki drafted 14 criteria against which the candidates were assessed for the position of chairman of ESCOM. Causa, Dr. Causa, ticked nine of the boxes. Ramaphosa, fewer. They took this to the old man. That's what Dr. Causa said, speaking about President Nelson Mandela at the time. And he said, I can't argue against facts, and then agreed that I should be chairman, said Causa, ahead of Cyril Ramaphosa, by the way. It is no surprise that Mbeki picked Dr. Causa. 20 years before becoming chairman of ESCOM, Causa started work at ESCOM as a managing consultant with a difference. Ha, I like that. Within two months of working as a consultant, he was appointed to an executive group within ESCOM known as the Top 30. This meant that he understood the inner workings of ESCOM when he became chairman in 1997. Causa is widely credited for his exceptional leadership. I'm like, you got my attention here, okay? These are the kind of people that we're raising. Which helped ESCOM win numerous local and international accolades. He said, Dr. Causa speaking, I inherited a company that was essentially well run. There's no question about that, said Causa. ESCOM won an award for having the best corporate governance in South Africa in Kozo's first year, that's in 1997, as chairman, ahead of prominent businesses in the private sector. Ahead of prominent businesses in the private sector. Then, in 2001, ESCOM won the Financial Times Award for the best global power utility. 2001, guys. World champion. ESCOM. Champion of the world. Okay. That was a mountaintop moment, according to Dr. Causa. ESCOM also won technical awards for the best, for the quality of its fleet. These power stations. Folks, these are, he's talking about the, the 15 power stations. Well, then it was 13 because we've built, well, we've tried to build Madupi and Kusili since then. Okay? The 13 power stations back then that now are producing less electricity than they were in 2008 when load shedding started. 15 years ago, the amount of electricity that South Africa was producing is less than it produces now with two brand new power stations, Madupi and Kusili, which aren't running properly. Okay? Just, these are just facts. I'm not commenting about them. Even more uplifting than that was when Moody's, which is an international ratings agency, gave ESCOM a better credit rating than the, rating than the country's sovereign debt rating, than South Africa. ESCOM was essentially debt-free by 2001. Debt-free, folks. That's from 1994. It, it had some debt. By 2001, debt-free. Recently, today, ESCOM has over 400 billion rands debt. In the, in, the, in the minister's budget speech, a major part of it was a plan to relieve, basically, as taxpayers, pay off over 200, 230 billion rands worth of debt. Okay, this is since 2001. It was debt-free. Where has the money gone? Okay, let's not go there. Okay, I know you don't know. I know you don't know because you don't work for ESCOM, and that's fine. I'm glad. Okay. Listen to this. 
So that's, that's amazing, folks. 2001, the best power company in the world. Just tell you about ESCOM. Do you know what the name stands for? The Electricity Supply Commission of South Africa. It's, a, it's an acronym for the Electricity Supply Commission of South Africa. It was established a, on the 1st of March, 1923. So guess who just turned 100 years old on the 1st of March? How many days ago? Five days ago, ESCOM turned 100 years ago, old. Amazing story behind how it started. Just so I'll rewind. ESCOM started in 1923. In 1880s, Kimberley was a booming town due to the, due to the, uh, the, the diamond mines. Diamonds. Kimberley had streetlights in the 1880s before London, New York, Tokyo, and think of another international city. It was one of the first towns in the world to have electricity, electric lights, by the way. Kimberley. Okay? Um, Eskom was started by a guy, I forget his first name, his surname was Funderbale. I read an article about him, they say he was, he was like Elon Musk, he was just so entrepreneurial, starting new things. He started Eskom, he also started Escor, which was the, the Iron and Steel Corporation of South Africa, which was taken over about 20 years ago. Phenomenal entrepreneurial, loved South Africa, was a phenomenal businessman, was never wealthy, never stayed in a fancy house, never had a fancy car, etc., but invested himself in South Africa, I want to say, like Dr. Causa. He was what Dr. Causa was a hundred years today, a hundred years ago. Funderbale Park, you heard of the town, was named after this, this Funderbale guy, amazing entrepreneur. What happened? Dr. Causa said that he was replaced as the chairman of ESCOM by someone who thought like a politician. Uh-oh, you guys are going, warning lights, beep, beep, beep. Rather than someone who was business-minded. The position requires a business approach to solving problems, says Dr. Causa. Rather than the shouting of slogans, said Causa. He said this, I pleaded with the shareholders, that's the government, that someone with a business background should succeed me, he said. His plea was ignored. Folks, seven years later, the Electricity Supply Commission of South Africa, ESCOM, could not supply enough electricity for South Africa, 2008. And since then, they're supplying less than they did 15 years ago, even though they built two new, big, fancy, very expensive power stations costing billions that are still not finished. What happened? What happened from the best power utility? Now, now listen, in this interview, Causa mentioned six things. Dr. Causa mentioned six things. Some of them were technical. Many of them on the planning side. In 2008, es no, sorry, 98, ESCOM went to the government and said, we have to invest in building new power stations now, otherwise in 10 years' time we'll run out of power, we won't have enough. 10 years later we ran out of power and the government said, oops, we should have done something. Okay? So it was decision making. But folks, what causes highlighting over here is leadership and the kind of leaders that we need. Look what he went on to say. And this is the slide. I nearly just put the slide on, but I thought, let's give context. My wife likes context. Who's Dr. Causa? Tell me more about him. Okay, he said this. ESCOM deviated from the basic leadership principles required to run a business, said Causa. 
the basic leadership principles required to run a business. And I'm going to look at them. Folks, it starts with leadership. John Maxwell says, everything rises and falls on leadership. If there's something not happening, ha, look at the leaders first. He said, a company rests on two pillars. Competence and ethical behavior. Can you tell your neighbor, competence and ethical behavior? What does this look like? Competence, folks, those are the skills, students, that you are getting at university. Okay? You are learning. Some of you are studying accountancy. Those are skills. Okay? Some of you are learning about um, genetics because you want to work in a, in a genetic lab doing what geneticists do. Don't ask me what that is. You know, I picture you with test tubes and putting chemicals in and stuff like that. But it's technical skills. Okay? But you can be technically competent, but if you don't have ethics, what are you going to do with those technical skills? Are you going to, you in your genetics lab, come up with some concoction that can result in a worldwide pandemic called COVID, which is one of the strong theories going around the world that was devised in a... In a now, what person who would develop a disease that can kill... How many million people? I think six million people have died in the world. Where's your ethics? I will not, Mr. Boss, do a design, a pathogen that can kill people. That's not what I studied. That's not what I'm going to use my skills for. Have we got people like that around here? That's immoral. And, I, and I, we can unpack that. You can talk to me more about that later, but not now. Competence and ethics. Folks, competence is what you are learning at university. But where are you getting your ethics from? Where are you getting your values? Where are you learning about character? I want to tell you, if you're not in church, you will smash up because you may learn ethics. You may know how to do accountancy and use those skills to cook the books and steal as much money for you and your grandmother as possible and end up in jail. Ethics says, I'm going to do accountancy right. I'm going to do it legally and correctly, and I'm not going to cook the books. Ethics, folks. Ethics is something, value, character, something you should get in the home or you get in church. And if you didn't get in home, you need to be in church, I'm telling you. We need people with ethics. This country, and let's just say, our Electricity Supply Commission, we're going to look at what is the problem. It started with appointing people with a political agenda who had no business ethics. And firstly, what is he implying here? They appointed people who were not competent, who had not, were not electrical engineers or business people, didn't know how to run the company, and they were unethical. Ha! Huh. No figure that today they estimate that ESCOM, every month, one billion rand is stolen from ESCOM. He said, flowing from those two basics, talking about competence and ethical behavior, you have the business values that drive successful organizations. This is a guy who led this organization for four or five years to, did a phenomenal job at it. This is how you do it. These values include integrity he's unpacking what are these ethics are we looking at integrity fairness responsibility transparency and accountability he says all of these values got progressively jettisoned by the organization after causa left we have an organization trying to provide electricity and they can't where there's no integrity fairness responsibility transparency and accountability according to this article 
So you, you can look, we can look at the technical things and we can say, you know, there's a lot of technical things we can mention. And in, in the article he mentions, I don't want to go into that. I want to say we're in the business of values, of ethics, of character. That's what the church is. We want to shape you to become more like Jesus. And Jesus was never accused of stealing money or lying to people or ripping people off or, or manipulating people or trying to skabanga people out of their money. We need ethical people. Get the skills. Go and register for all the, get the skills so you can get the job. But get ethics, get values, get character, and noble character. You know why I, I wanted to title the message character, and then I looked at the dictionary. And today, character can be anything. You, you can describe you know, a criminal and refer to his character, and, and it's very negative. We're not talking about just any character. We're talking about biblical, godly, noble character, what the Bible refers to it. Where are you going to get noble character from? Um, um, we are called to make disciples. On the next slide, in this book, Liberating the Nations, it says, The church is the place of preparation for the people who will govern our society. We are not starting a political party. But folks, let me tell you about Edgar Sishi. Edgar was a student at Rhodes University, got involved in his people on Rhodes University, I mean, 25, 30 years ago. He was in the church. He was a leader in the local church. Uh, amazing Bible teacher, man of God. Really wrestled with, should he go into business or should he? He went and got a job at ESCOM. He was working at Megawatt Park 25, 30 years ago because he believed in this country. He grew up in rural KZN, Edgar Sishi. KZN boy, he believed in South Africa so much. He got his qualification. He said, I'm going to go and work for ESCOM. Folks, it became so untenable for him 10 years later. He's a man of God. He couldn't stay. He packed up his bags. He got a job in, his, in America. A guy from rural KZN moved to America because it became so untenable for him to work in a place like ESCOM. That should not be. That should not be. Amen. I don't blame him for leaving. Who knows what pressure. There are hit squads operating in ESCOM. You've seen the media. You can literally get killed. We had a guy here. And I've never said this from the pulpit. We had one of our senior leaders. He was, um, I won't mention his name, in our church. He left probably about 10 years ago. He was working here for the local office. One of his colleagues, his work colleagues, came home one day. And his house here in Peter Maritzburg had been smashed to pieces. Somebody with a lot of money had hired some tortsies with some, some uh, picks and clubs and baseball bats. And they'd gone through his house and smashed everything that can be broken. Everything was smashed. And this guy in our church, he said, he had said to his boss, I do engineering. He was an electrical engineer. He said, I do engineering. I don't do politics. And I don't do all this other stuff. And he said, Pastor Jacques, I can't stay here. I can't stay in Peter Maritzburg. I can't keep working for ESCOM. Senior leaders in our church. He took a job in Cape Town, working for the Cape Town municipality, earning substantially less than he was here for ESCOM as a, as a qualified electoral engineer. Folks, there are times that you need to leave because literally your life is in danger. Tokazani Maseko, he was acting, he was, acting, uh, he was our city manager. He used to come to church with bodyguards. I understand the pressure of living ethically. But folks, what is the alternative? 
What is the alternative of being unethical, of not having noble character? The church is the place of preparation for the people who will govern society. It builds people of character. Folks, our job is to build people of character. And understanding by regular instruction in biblical principles of God's word as they apply to all aspects of life. Folks, God's word, please don't think it's just for your quiet time. One, you know, 15 minutes in the morning. Your word, the word of God needs to be applied to every area of life. So what are the kind of people we are looking for to build into? Steve Murrell wrote in his book, The Multiplication Challenge, and he's got this section of, he says, the kind of leaders I'm looking to invest my life into, to build character, build value, to build Christ in their lives. This is what I'm looking for on the next slide. He says, I'm looking for people of faith, and that's an acronym. Now, I love faith, absolutely need faith, but he says this, Faith is an acronym for faithful, available, involved, teachable, and hungry. We're looking for those kind of people. You can build that. You can cultivate that in your own life. Um, I was so tempted to spend the rest of the message unpacking that up, but I'm, I'm not going to. We're going to come back to faithful, available, involved, teachable, and hungry. Ruth Barton said this, we set young leaders up for a fall if we encourage them to envision what they can do before they consider the kind of person they should be. Before they consider the kind of person they should be. We sang a powerful opening song about just identity and who God has made us to be. You know, I have heard Christians saying, stuff about the kind of person they want to be and the description that they gave did not sound very much like Jesus and you know I got a bit uncomfortable with how people were describing themselves and so I just want to say folks Jesus was the most amazing leader if you want to know if you want to study leadership study Jesus first and foremostly don't have a view of yourself that doesn't look like Jesus. Folks, that is our goal, to become Christ-like. Andy Stanley said this about character. Character is the will to do what's right, even when it's hard. I want to say, especially when it's hard. He said this, character is about will because it requires a willingness to make tough decisions. Decisions that sometimes run contrary to emotion, contrary to intuition, contrary to economics or current trends, and in the eyes of some, even contrary to common sense. Tough decisions that are godly, that are noble, that are honorable. Having the will to do what's right requires that you determine what's right before the struggle to do what's right ensues. You've got to decide to do what's right before the struggle ensues. You've got to decide your values of sexual purity before you're sitting on the back seat of a car with a guy who's trying to get your clothes off. You've got to decide before you get into that back seat your values of sexual purity before you get married. If you're married to the guy, 
I wouldn't stress, okay? I would not stress about it. But if you on a first date and he's trying to get you in the back seat of the car and get your clothes off, you've got to decide way before that, before you get in the back seat, before you go on the date, what you are going to do. How about this one? It's reported at ESCOM, this is in, in, in the public domain, that for a pair of knee guards that you can buy at Builder's Warehouse for 320 Rand, that ESCOM paid for one pair of knee guards. I told somebody this and they said, how many knee guards did they get? I said one. For one pair of knee guards, 80,000 rand. That you can buy at Builder's Warehouse for 320 rand. Good quality leather knee guards. Sometimes workers are working on the ground, they need knee guards. 80,000 rand. I'm not kidding. It's in the public domain. How about this one? One contractor got a tender to supply toilet rolls to ESCOM. Now you would think, ESCOM folks, ESCOM uh, was produced more electricity uh, 20 years ago, more electricity, uh, more than half of Africa's electricity needs. Um, that's how much electricity they produced. And they have 45,000 employees. So that's a lot of people. And I could think, if I get the tender for toilet rolls, that's quite a lot of toilet rolls for 45,000 people. And I'm thinking, if I get this tender, I've got to make my pencil really sharp, okay? I asked my wife. She said, look, at pick and pay, you can probably buy a pack of nine toilet rolls for about five rand fifty each, apparently. Okay, I don't buy toilet rolls often. That's, that's the expert, okay? You can dispute with it. Is it four or is it, can you get it for four rand? But you are going to ESCOM. You're buying toilet rolls for 45,000 people. You can sell a lot of toilet rolls, and so I'm going I'm to give them a good deal. Pick and pack and buy them for five rand fifty. Maybe I can offer them for like three rand a toilet roll and still make, you know, 50 cents on 175 million toilet rolls they're going to sell to ESCOM, and my profit will be quite decent. Folks, do you know what ESCOM paid for toilet rolls? Per one toilet roll, 26 rand. 26 rand for toilet rolls. Now, you're a person of ethics. You are responsible for awarding a tender. I did it at the municipality. You are awarding a tender. Your job is to do the best for the organization and ultimately before your God. And so when you're assessing tenders, you are looking, okay, pick and pay 5 rand 50. I want better than this. Okay, there's a tender for 3 rand per toilet roll. There's for 4 rand. Okay, there's for 4 rand 50. My job as an engineer at the municipality, I worked there for 10 years. I take the, the, the bottom three, the lowest three, I assess them. I go through it, make sure it's reasonable, it's fair, etc. And I give it to the lowest guy. I will not award a tender for 26 rand a toilet roll. How about you? You're going to make that decision before the time. How about doing a payment, authorizing payment for knee guards for 80,000 rand? Yeah, but you promised your dad you'd buy him a car. I know that. But before God... You've got to make that decision before the time, before you sign off that deal to pay 80,000 Rand for one pair of knee guards. You've got to make that decision before the pressure's on, before the contractor comes to you and says, listen, you pay me 80 grand, we can split it half his half his. You can take half, you can pay, that's half a car for your dad. Sort it, you know? You've got to make that decision before the time. And he said, he said this, the most direct path to where you want to be is not the most ethical one. The shortest distance between where you are and where you want to be is not the most honorable one. 
prayer on Thursday, Lusanda shared about the, the picture she had of this roadblock, of a, of a no entry, no sign. And, and we prayed in on Thursday, and this morning I was just thinking about it so much. And folks, you know, sometimes you're on a path with God, and, and you've sensed God said, go this way. You, you got a job, and you felt God opened the doors for this job. You're studying a course, and you felt this was it. And, or you're in a relationship with somebody, and you felt, but then you get into a dead end. And the thing you were so excited about becomes like, oh, God, and you are questioning. And, and, and there are many ways you can sense it's a dead end. This morning, I had such a strong sense that, and in the prayer we had the sense of there are some times that you get to a dead end, and it's like it was a road you should not have taken. You went down the wrong road. You need to turn around, get back onto the highway of holiness where God's meant you to be. That's an option. It could be that the road is blocked because it's God, and God says, shh, 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 time out, move on. It could be blocked by the enemy. I saw this picture of this road that had been blocked with trees and things. It wasn't a proper, like, official roadblock. It was like, it was a roadblock by Tsotsis, you know, and you're driving up to this thing and you're seeing these trees and, and you're like, you're looking in the bushes on the side of the road, like, where are the Tsotsis? And I had the sense that for some people, this roadblock is the enemy. And I had the two senses, fear and unbelief. He's trying to block your road with it. That is God's path. It's God's road. There are some times that you literally put your foot flat and you're like, I'm going through these branches. I'm not stopping to chat to some Tsotsis over here who want to, you know, nationalize my car. We are going through this roadblock. I had a sense. For some of you, that's a word for you. Like, I've got to break through fear and unbelief. This is not of God. Fear and unbelief is not of God. There are times that, and the other sense, this morning in prayer I had a sense, there are times you have a roadblock and God's saying, just wait. Like the Israelites stuck next to the Red Sea, it was they had to wait for God to make a way. And I know the feeling, you are, you are so pressured, and it's in that place that you want to find, ha, another path. Okay? Another path, yeah, through the bushes, through the river, and around. And it's like, that's not God's plan for your life. And you are going to mess up your car. You're going to smash up your life trying to take this car on this 4x4 road and you don't have a 4x4. You wait for God. There are times, folks, that it's it's sometimes excruciating. Sometimes like it's a relationship. It's a financial situation. It is a job situation. It's a study thing. It's an exam. And you are under so much pressure. And it's like everything's hard. I want to get out of this, God. But you know God got you into that situation. And you know you have got to persevere. And I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to wait for God. And I'm not going to pay 80,000 Rand to the contractor because I know that's ungodly or whatever. And you are saying, I will do things God's way. I will wait for the way maker to make a way for me. Amen? And so that, that metaphor of a blocked road, sometimes is the enemy, and you just got to bust through. If it's fear and unbelief, folks, bust through the roadblock. Keep going. Amen? If it's God, sometimes, man, you know, the bridge is washed away, and you just need God to intervene, you know? So I just had this, this the, and, and it was just this path. Don't take unethical paths. It's never worth it. Romans 5, verse 3 to 4, last, last, last verse. But what I've got with this verse, such a beautiful verse, I've got it in three different translations because each translation like, makes it just come alive more. NIV says, We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance 
Verse 4, perseverance, character. That's what we're looking at, noble character, hey? And character, hope. So, folks, there's this picture of suffering, tough time, pressure, and then after that, what that produces is a perseverance, a sense inside of you, we're going to keep going, we're going to keep going. And that molds character. You see, the thing is, you've decided before, I'm going down this road, the pressure comes to mold inside of you that I am going to walk God's path no matter what. The pressure molds, literally the, the, the Greek word for character would be the same word they would use to describe the mold that was made which with which they would cast metal objects, like coins or whatever. That mold. And what is the mold? You pour the metal in and it shapes it under heat and pressure. And when you take the mold away, boom. But that, the word for, for the mold was character. This is this description over here. You decide, I'm going to serve God. I'm going to do things godly. I'm in my relationships. I'm going to walk in purity. Now the pressure's on. He's saying, you want to get in the back seat with me? And I say, no, I'm very happy in the front seat over here. There's a big gear lever between me and you. We can chat very nicely over here. Okay? You decide that. Before, but the pressure's on. And now you've got to make a decision. Am I going to get in the back seat or not? Okay? And the, look at what the passion says. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence Knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance. So I had this picture of, of waiting at a roadblock and you know you need to wait until God makes a way. And, and in that moment your values are shaped. I want to submit to you, hopefully we're trusting not ungodly values. We decide to take an, another path. Verse 4. And patient endurance will refine our character. And proven character will lead us back to hope. And I want to read it in the, in the, in the Amplified, the classic Amplified translation. Moreover, let's also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that pressure and affliction, hardship and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. Ooh, I love how the Amplified just, I mean, it's the word perseverance there. And, he's, and they're describing it, patient and unswerving endurance. Verse 4. And endurance or fortitude develops maturity of character, approved faith and tried integrity. I love that. Another definition, Bible definition of character is tried integrity. Do you know what integrity is? It means wholeness. It means oneness. If you have integrity, you are what you are. It's not that they're two different parts. You know, to some people, you're this kind of a person. And other people, you're that kind of person. You're like a chameleon. And who you are, we don't really know who you are. Integrity, if you're a geologist and you find a, a, a rock and you take your hammer and you whack it, a geologist would say that that rock has integrity. If when he whacks the rock, he can't break it into other pieces. It's one solid crystal. That's integrity. You are at your core what we see on the outside. All of you is the real deal. That's integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? I want to 
I want to close. And you know, folks, I've mentioned, I've mentioned some things here. And, and I particularly this thing of a roadblock. And there are many dimensions to the roadblock. But if you sense there's a roadblock in any of your life, it could be a relationship, a, a work situation, a, a study thing, whatever. If you are at a roadblock in your life, and you're saying, God, what do I do? Do I bust through fear and unbelief if that's it? Do I wait patiently for you to come through? Do I turn around and, and, and go back? There are a number of options. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to pray this, that you would be true to the decision, the godly decision in your heart, heart to do right in that situation. And that you would, God would shape and mold in that situation the character, the godly, the noble character for you to do the right thing. So if this, if this picture of a roadblock is meaningful to you and you saying, sure, I need, I need prayer. I want prayer. I, I need God's intervention in this space of the roadblock. I want to pray for you. And we're going to do that. Just simply just raise your hand. We're not calling anybody to the front for this. If, you, if, if that's you, if you're saying, sure, I, I want to pray about this roadblock situation I'm facing. Okay. Quite a few hands going up. Quite a few hands. And that's beautiful. Okay. I, want to, I just want to, uh, guys, we have a prayer team. We call it our encounter team. Encounter team, if you don't mind, if you, if, encounter team, if you've got your hand up, God bless you. This even happens to the encounter team that we encounter roadblocks in our lives, okay? Okay, that's fine. But if you haven't got your hand up and you're part of the encounter team, maybe you could just stretch your hand to somebody around you and just, and just pray. God, Lord, we bring, we bring to you this, this reality we face of there's a roadblock, God. We were going down a path and for whatever reason we just feel it's not happening. It's, 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 it's a no-go. And God, I pray that for every single person, they would be true to their godly decisions that they made that got them on this path in the first place. I pray they would not compromise their integrity by going on a side path that it will not honor you. That is not a noble, honorable decision. I pray for them in that situation right now. Strengthen their convictions about where they are. God, for those who are waiting, who just sense they need to wait for God to make a way. Lord, I pray for a patient and unswerving endurance. I pray for fortitude to be shaped, that their character will be molded. Godly character, noble character will be shaped in that that place of pressure, Lord, just as that coin is in the mold, shape them that they would be godly. Lord, and I pray that you as the way maker would show them. Do they bust through a roadblock that is from the enemy? Do they turn around and go back onto the road? Or do they wait? Wait, Father, show them. I pray that there would be a deep knowing in their knower that God, this is what you are calling them to do. In Jesus' name. I pray divine protection over them that the enemy would not come with a second word, with another word, a temptation to get off the road and try and go, go bundu bashing. I say no to the enemy. I say no to the voice of the enemy in these people's lives in Jesus' name. Lord, that they would know your will, God's will in this situation. You would shape and mold their character, their conviction that God has me, that God is with me in the situation and we are going to get out of the situation. Father, be with them. Lead them. Guide them. In Jesus' name.
And the people of God said, Amen. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit our website at www.hispeoplepmb.co.za And for more of our messages, visit our YouTube and SoundCloud channels as well as other podcast platforms. If you would like to contact us, please email us at hispeoplepmb at gmail.com or send a message to 061-452-0877. To join us for in-person services, visit us at 154 Burkett Road, Scottsville, Peter Maritzburg. We hope to see you soon. God bless you.